This is part five, and it should be the final part of the message. This is the long title. Ellen has actually condensed it. Wait for his son Yeshua to appear from heaven to rescue us. Now I ask a question. What is he rescuing us from? He's going to be rescuing us from the wrath. Turn with me now to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 10. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 10. And it says here, And to wait for his son Yeshua, whom he raised from the dead, to appear from heaven and rescue us from the impending fury of God's judgment, God's wrath. And so since this message overlaps the prior messages, and I encourage anyone who's listening on the podcast, if you tune into this one and you miss the four that preceded, some things may be a little confusing for you. So we want to eliminate all confusion. So continuing here. So this idea that we pursue unity no matter what the truth takes a back seat to what is not biblical. There was a statement by a pastor, and this is what he said. If you post what you believe about eschatology on your website, you're walking in sin. Why? Because you're bringing division between the body of Messiah. That was his opinion. And so if you post that you are dispensationalist, a premillennial, a pre tribulational, and we get this conclusion from a literal, grammatical, historical method of interpretation of the scriptures, then you are walking in sin because you've caused a rupture, a division among the body of Messiah. Because a lot of Christians don't agree with that doctrine. So please tone it down. And so another leader at a, at a Christian conference was question and answer time. And some of his congregation members were there and they were promoting prophecy that we should study God's word to know those words that were written because God does not want his children walking in darkness. He's provided the light. He has fulfilled every prophecy of the first coming of Messiah he will fulfill the prophecy of the Lord appearing for his bride, Harpazo taking us out before his judgment is let out on this earth. And he's also going to fulfill his prophecy at the end of the seven-year tribulation of coming back with his bride and setting up his millennial reign here on earth. He's going to do all those things. But that pastor said to them, you got to tone this down because it's bringing a lot of disunity within this conference. Are you kidding me? I think we ought to tone it up, should we not? Don't you realize that there are people around us that are wondering what's going on? They're seeing their governments failing them. They're seeing their lives change. Definitions of words and definitions of people and their identity is changing. People can even claim to be not even a human being. You can claim to be a cat or an alien from a foreign planet. And if anyone speak anything against you to, to say, you know what, I've known you before, I went to school with you, and you're not a cat, you're not a Martian, then they say, well, you're hurting me. You're attacking me. You're destroying my identity. Those are the things we face in this world. And so what we need to do is to be biblically correct in God's estimation. Because who created man and woman in the first place? Was it not God? Did he not make only two genders? And so we have to make a choice. Are we going to believe what God's word says? Or are we going to accept whatever the opinion of the world as they change definitions? 
I remember as a young man first hearing the word, what the word gay meant, meant that you're happy or joyful. But what does that word mean today? That you have a desire as a male to be intimate with another male. So continuing here. So that Christian leader said, tone it down. And I say, no, let's not tone down promoting prophecy. Because the highest value at the end of the day is God's word and his truth. And just like the apostles of old, that when they had their councils, and they were debating on a very, very important issue, can someone from the nations be part of God's kingdom? Absolutely. Why? Because God manifested something that was undeniable to those elders. And what was that? Those that received the Lord instantaneously, they were also baptized with the Ruach HaKodesh. And in that example, they spoke in other languages. And so it was undeniable. See, when God pulls out that evidence... You can debate all you want. You can have a favorite teacher, a favorite theologian, but it, if it doesn't line up with God's word, you set aside what that theologian has said, that favorite Bible teacher. We're to be people of the word. And the bottom line is this, God is always truthful. Society changes from time to time, but God's word never changes. People who read God's word, they're changed and they're transformed. So continuing here. That is, the end of the day, the biblical truth should be held up what we agree upon. That is what we should be unified around. I'm not in favor of being obnoxious, but we must stand on the truth at some point and let God take care of those who are going to agree with us and those who are not going to agree with us. Did not Rav Shaul warn that there will become vicious wolves in sheep's clothing coming out from the midst of us? That was nearly 2,000 years ago. You don't think that's still happening today? Were not your hearts crushed when you heard about these different ministers who of late have said this, I now apologize to the gay LGBT community? They have forsaken God's truth so that they can be politically correct and be accepted by today's society. One day they're going to have to stand before the Lord and give an account. Because remember, they were called, they were ordained by God, but they have forsaken his word. Rav Shaul names names in the uh, New Testament. He says, beware of these. And then what does he say? We are now to pray that they would be turned over to whom? Hasatan that they would be delivered from their deception, their apostasy. And we do that tenderly, not thinking ourselves all puffed up in ourselves, with great compassion. So continuing here. So with this, to simply allow God to Bring people in and remove them if they do not agree. That's a decision that everyone who goes into ministry must make. Those who minister to others are not to lord it over them. You do not become their personal possession. They belong to the Lord. You are an under-shepherd to them. And that's why the scripture says, 
We are to search the scriptures to see what that individual is sharing and proclaiming, whether it lines up with God's word or not. Many times they ask you to come into a conference or into a setting, and they ask you to set your Bibles aside and come sit down and just simply receive. Because that anointed man or woman of God is going to speak to you. And you're not to disrespect that man or woman of God who has such an anointing upon them. You're supposed to take everything that they say as coming directly from God's word. That is complete foolishness. And that's why we're to be God's people of his book and know the scriptures and have a discernment. God has given us a mind that we could think, but we have to be so immersed into God's word to the point when we see when something is counterfeit is spoken, we're able to even recognize it. Have you ever heard somebody say something and all of a sudden there's some kind of check in your spirit and you can't quite put your finger on it? Do you simply let that pass and continue? Or do you, do you go and examine the scriptures and do you ever pray, O Ruach HaKodesh, Holy Spirit of living God, you who have been given to me to, be, to lead me into all truth, Give me discernment. Shine light on what that person has just said. Let's continue. So I decided years ago that I am simply to teach God's word and the Lord will either add or take away from my influence of ministry. Because as an under-shepherd, we're to do what? We're to sacrifice and give and build up and disciple God's flock. And that's not only my assignment. The Lord has given us two elders here. Elder Ellen Niemer and Elder Tim Heeb. That's part of the process. We are making disciples. And basically what we're doing is this. We're training up others to go out and proclaim the good news and make other disciples. The focus of most congregations today is what? To build a big structure, fill it up, have a great light and smoke and worship and let's be more entertaining than the world. That has never been God's way. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And so I can teach God's word in truth and love. I can't control who's going to listen or who's going to come. And I have to let Yeshua and simply trust in his provision. So this is not a non-essential doctrine. The essential doctrine of eminency. At mo any moment the Lord can return for his bride. Because it's linked to the bodily resurrection of the dead, which everyone agrees is a very essential doctrine. So what does Rav Shaul say at the end of the verse? In verse number 10. To appear from heaven and to rescue us from the wrath, the impending fury of God's judgment. Who rescues us from the wrath to come? Now let's look at that Greek word here. It's orge. It's spelled O-R-G-E. Orge is passion that is out of control. It's a passion that has no limits on it. And here, it's not being used as a sexual context, but God's judgment, his righteous wrath. God repays. God judges because he does it with compassion and severity, but in all truth, desiring for reconciliation. You know, during the seven-year tribulation, there are going to be many millions who are going to be coming saved. When you and I, the body of 
of Messiah, the bride of Messiah, are taken out and we're no longer here, they're going to realize those things that we talked about, about the Lord's impending fury, the seven-year tribulation, will be starting very soon for them after we've left. So continuing here. This word orge is used in the release of God's holy anger on this world, unrepentant world. It is talking about a time in history where God's wrath will be unleashed upon this planet and there will be no limitation on it whatsoever unless he limits it. The anger of God's wrath Notice he says this wrath is coming when? Soon. Rav Shul was given the instruction during that generation. Now think of all the generations yet to be born. The scripture has been there for them to read. Every generation believing in for the hope, the appearing of the Lord to come back. But he did not come in their, their, their uh, generation. Did he fail them? Absolutely not. Because they died looking for the Lord's return. Their seeds were planted into the earth and the promise of the resurrection goes to them first. So continuing here. God's wrath is not an option. It cannot be missed. It is inevitable that it is coming just like all his other promises. When God says something, he means it. But we question him, do we not? We try to soften the blow, do we not? Think of Noah in his day, 120 years building that ark, warning the people. He says it's going to rain. It had never rained before. How, how was the earth nourished? From the midst, from the ground. And there was a water-type canopy over the earth. And they thought he was absolutely out of his mind. But when the Lord took him and his family members and he sealed the door, it says the scripture says, he sealed it. Think about the cries that went out. People would hear the lightning and the thunder and all of a sudden the rain appeared. That canopy was broken and the deep, the water stored in the deep came up suddenly. So continuing here. But this promise is to us that we'll be rescued from it. So Orge is released in God's seals and the trumpets and the golden bowls of wrath. He capsulated in the seven-year tribulation period. And Yeshua is causing all this. It's called the wrath of the Lamb. And we're going to examine that. But before we do that, we must read a very, very important scripture. And if any man or woman who goes and reads or teaches from the book of Revelation, I would say the whole word of God, if you don't fully understand what it says in Revelation 22, page, uh, excuse me, chapter 22, verse 12, please turn to there. Pay attention, says Yeshua. I'm coming soon and my rewards are with me to give each person according to what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the Aleph and the Tav, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. How blessed are those who, who have washed their robes so that they have the right to eat from the tree of life and go through the gates into the city. Outside are... There's a lady recently said that there's no mention of homosexuals in the Bible. Homosexuals, those involved with the occult, with drugs and sexual immoral, murderers, idol worshipers, and everyone who loves the practices of falsehood. I, Yeshua, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the Messianic communities to the churches. Whose words are these? These are literally Yeshua's words. There were at times through, as you read and study the book of Revelation, that were passed by his angel. You notice 
The angel's never given a name, but I'm sure he has a name. Let's continue here. I am the roots and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. Let anyone who hears say, who's the bride? That's you and I. He who hears back of my the spirit and the bride say come let anyone who hears say come and let anyone who is thirsty come let anyone who wishes take the water of life free of charge now here it is this is from Yeshua's own lips I warn everyone hearing the words of this prophecy in this book if anyone adds to them God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. Can we count on that promise from Yeshua? I think we can. And if anyone takes anything away from the words of this book of prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life, the holy city as described in this book. The one who is testifying these things says, yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Yeshua. May the grace of our Lord Yeshua be with you all. So anyone who teaches God's word, I truly believe not just from Revelation, but from Genesis through Revelation, if they do not teach and preach what God's word says, and if they add or take away from it, God's going to severely deal with that individual. And so anyone who preaches and teaches God's word, there has to be a fear of the Lord in their hearts. Otherwise, what happens, they receive a reprobate mind. There are now pastors, theologians, Bible teachers who have received a reprobate mind because they no longer preach God's word in its, all its purity. And the Lord has allowed that to come as judgment against them. So continuing here. The gold seals, the trumpets, the golden bowls of wrath encapsulate in the seven-year tribulation period. And Yeshua is causing all of it. Because according to Revelation uh, chapter 6, and I'd like you to turn there. Revelation chapter 6 and verse 1. We'll read that scripture next. Because this is where his judgment, his holy judgment is being poured out. Next I, who's the I here but Yohanan John? I watched as the lamb, who's the lamb but Yeshua himself? As the lamb broke the first of the seven seals. And so with this, we clearly see that this is Yeshua that's releasing this wrath. This is divine wrath. Upon what? The world. Unrepentant believers. Unrepentant individuals on this earth. And so when Rav Shaul speaks, talks about the wrath to come, this is what he's speaking of. We are going to get a more description of what it is when we get to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We will see more of the description of the wrath to come. We will also get more of the description in 2 Thessalonians uh, chapter 2. This is what Rav Shaul is speaking of when he speaks of the ecclesiastical wrath of God and that the bride is promised and escape. And where is that promise? Exemption from the divine wrath of the Lamb. The promises are in 1 Thessalonians 1.10 and also in 1 Thessalonians 5.9 and also Romans chapter 5.9, 8.1 and Revelation 3.10. And let's turn quickly there to uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 9. For God is not intended that we should experience his fury, his wrath, but we should gain deliverance through our Lord Yeshua, the Messiah. Remember that promise in scripture in John 14 verses 1 through 3? Through three, he's coming back for us. He's prepared a place for us. 
His word is yes and amen. And also, continuing here now in Romans chapter 5, verse 9. Romans 5, 9. Therefore, since we are now being considered righteous by means of his bloodly sacrificial death, how much more will be delivered from him, through him, from the anger of God's judgment? Continuing. Now, Revelation 3.10, and we'll continue in Revelation once we get there. Excuse me, Frank, what was that last verse in Romans 5? Romans uh, Five nine, and then also Romans. I skipped over one there, and I apologize. Romans eight one. Therefore, there is no longer any condemnation in waiting for those who are in union with Messiah Yeshua. See, because this world's about to be judged, it's about to be condemned for its unrepentance. But in the midst of that, God will be allowing those to repent. But there will be some that harden their hearts against the Lord. And as we go through the book of Revelation through our Bible study that's ongoing, we'll be able to look at all those items in detail. And so now, now we're in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 10. Because you did obey my message about persevering. I will keep you from the time of trial coming upon the whole world to put the people living on the earth to the test. See, God's wrath wants to produce repentance in the hearts and minds of people. And so how do we know about this divine wrath? We know it from if we will look at uh, Revelation chapter six verses sixteen and seventeen. And they said to the mountains and rocks, "Fall upon us and hide us from the faith of the one sitting on the throne, and from the fury of the Lamb, for the great day of their fury has come, and who can stand?" Who's that speaking of? The Lamb of God who took away the sins of the world. But his righteous judgment is being poured out upon the earth. Continue in Revelation chapter 11 and verse 18. That's eleven eighteen 18 of Revelation. The nations raged. But now your rage has come. The time for the dead to be judged. The time for the rewarding your servants, the prophets, and your holy people, who stand in awe of your name, both small and great, is also the time for destroying those who destroy the earth. Continue in Revelation 15, verses 1 and 7. We're focusing here on the wrath and who's administering it. Revelation 15.1, and I saw another sign in the heaven, a great wonderful one, seven angels with seven plagues that are the final ones because with them God's fury is finished. And 15, number seven, one of the four living beings gave to the seven angels seven gold bowls filled with the fury, the wrath of God. Whoever lives forever who lives forever and ever. And then Revelation 16, 1. I skipped over 1, 7, I believe. Yes, I did. 15, 7. No, I did get that one. Okay. Uh, 16, 1. I heard the loud voice from the sanctuary saying to the seven angels, go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of God's fury. And then finally, 1619. The great city was split into three parts. The cities of nations fell and God remembered Babel, that's Babel, Babylon, the great, and made her drink 
the wine from the cup of his raging fury. And you may ask, well, this is a great judgment. But think about this for one moment. When Yeshua was interceding before the Father, he knew that God's wrath was going to be poured out upon him. It says this, that his body began to sweat blood. And he said to the Father, is there another way? And then he said, I will receive it. I will take it. His, God's wrath was poured out upon him so that we would become the righteousness in Messiah. So his wrath has to be dealt with. And so let us continue Revelation chapter 6 and verse 1. So we're going to focus on these seals today. Next I watched the lamb that broke the first of the seven seals. And I heard one of the four living beings saying in a thundering voice, go. And I looked and there in front of me was a white horse and its rider had a bow and was given a crown. And he rode off to conquer as a conqueror and to conquer. And who's riding that white horse? It's not Yeshua. This is the anti-Messiah. See, Hasatan, the devil, is God's devil. The Antichrist is God's Antichrist in that he uses him to fulfill his will. He is the complete opposite and the usurper of the true Christ, who is Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah. So continuing here in verse number three. When he broke the second seal, I heard this second living being say, go, and another horse went out, a red one, and its rider was given the power to take peace away from the earth and make people slaughter each other. And he was given a great sword. So here we see war breaks out over all the planet. Continuing now in verse number five. When he broke the third seal, I heard the third living being say, go, and I looked, and there in front of me was a black horse. And his rider held in his hand a pair of scales. Then I heard what sounded like a voice from among the four living beings saying, two pounds of wheat for a day's wages, six pounds of barley for the same price, but don't damage the oil or the wine. This speaks about famine being widespread throughout the whole earth. Now continuing in here in verse number seven. When he broke the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living being say, go. And I looked that there in front of me was a pallid, sickly looking horse. Its rider's name was Death, and Sheol followed behind him. Then they were given authority to kill one quarter of the world by war, by famine, by plagues, and with wild animals on the earth. So just think about that. Death for 25% of the world's population is destroyed at that time. And who's causing this? Who has released these seals? But Yeshua is causing this because he's releasing these seals. These seals. Continuing now. They were given authority to kill one quarter of the earth by war, by famine, by plagues, and with wild animals of the earth. Verse 9. When the lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw underneath the altar the souls of those who had died and been put to death for proclaiming the word of God, that is, for bearing witness. And they cried out in a loud voice, Sovereign ruler, HaKodesh, Holy Spirit, the true one, how long will it be before you judge the people living on the earth and avenge our blood? And each one of them was giving a white robe, and they were told to wait a little longer until the full number of their fellow servants should be reached, of their brothers who would be killed just as they had been. What is that speaking to? Those who are living during the tribulation time are the brothers that are and sisters who are to be added. Because once you receive Yeshua during the great tribulation period, Hasatan, through the Antichrist, is going to have power to put you to death. That's the reality what the scripture shares here. And so are those who are those that are underneath that altar 
all those from the time of Abel going forward that were murdered because they not only proclaimed the truth of God's word, but they lived it out. Those are the individuals that are crying out. Because those that are underneath the altar, they see what God is doing. These seals. And they're crying out for their blood to be avenged. But the Lord says, wait, I'll give you these white robes. Because your company is not complete yet. So continuing here. Verses 9 through 11 speak of the martyrs, both past and future. And lastly, we're going to go through 12 through 17. Then I watched and he broke the sixth seal and there was a great earthquake. The sun turned black as sackcloth, worn in mourning. And the full moon became blood red and the stars fell from the heaven to earth just as a fig tree drops its figs when shaken by a strong wind. Then the sky receded like a scroll being rolled up, and every mountain and island was moved from its place. The earth's kings and rulers and generals, the rich and the mighty, indeed, everyone slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks and in the mountains. And they said to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of the one sitting on the throne and from the fury of the lamb. So they see both God the Father, and they see the Lamb of God. For the great, for the day of their, that's plural, that's not singular, fury has come, and who can stand? Now, commentary, to the point where it is falling on out on the non-believers. They finally figure out what's happening. They say this in Revelation 6, 16 through 17, they say to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the sight of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath, that's that word, orge, of the lamb. For the great day of their wrath, orge, has come and who is able to stand. Here's some commentary from someone that I trust. His name is Reverend Robert L. Thomas. And this is a commentary he put together. It's through Kenneth Barker, Chicago Moody Bible College, 1992, pages 457 and 58. And this is his commentary on 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10. Mankind in his rebellion correctly analyzes and his also his continued commentary of Revelation 6, 16, 7, and 17. And this is what he says. Mankind in his rebellion correctly analyzes the cosmic and terrestrial disturbances as part of the great end of day of wrath from one sitting on the throne and from the Lamb. The word here, elithen, and that's spelled E-L-E-T-H-E-N of the Greek, has come. It is aorist indicative, referring to the previous arrival of wrath. Not something that is about to take place. Men see the arrival of this day at least as early as the cosmic upheavals and that characterize the seal, the sixth seal, in chapter of Revelation chapter 6, verses 12 through 14. But upon reflection, they probably now recognize that it was already in effect with the death of one-fourth of the population, as recorded in Revelation 6, 7 through 8, and worldwide famine in Revelation 6, 5 and 6. The global warfare recorded in Revelation 6, 3 and 4. Why bring this up? Because there are some people running around saying that the first Five seal judgments are not the wrath of God. They call that tribulations caused by Satan and not the wrath of God. I am here to tell you that this is the wrath of God because Yeshua is causing this by opening the seals. Does Satan have the authority to do things on his own will? 
Absolutely not. So as I said earlier, Hasatan, the Antichrist, are puppets in God the Father's hands so that his will will be fulfilled. Will they be held accountable and judged? Absolutely. So the pagans say it started at the beginning of chapter 6. So you don't have to see the word wrath prior to Revelation in chapter 6.16 to believe that, there, that this is the wrath of God. There is a true that the word does not show up until later, but I already explained why, because it is when the plagues, when the pagans fill out, figure it out, what is happening. And the statement is that the wrath of God is the conclusion and goes back to the beginning of Revelation chapter 6. The Noetic flood, the flood of Noah, was that the wrath of God? I believe so. Find me the word of wrath in the text about Noah's flood. You will not find it. But who could have caused that? Only God himself. So it doesn't say God's wrath, but we think it, is all, it was God's wrath. Why? Because God caused it. So there is a deception going on where people say, well, the wrath is not mentioned until later so. The first part is not God's wrath, so we're going to be here for just part of it. Don't worry. So comfort one another with these words. We're going to be here. We're not going to be here for any of it. I'm here to tell you that's false doctrine. That's the mid-tribulation theory. We're not going to be here for any of it. And why do we know this? 1 Thessalonians, the promise that we will be taken out and rescued before the impending wrath. Now let's look now at these key words in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10. The Greek word here is the word ek. It's spelled E-K and not para-ian. Ek versus para-ian. So if Rav Shaul was saying that we're going into it, he would not have used the word ek. He would have used the word para-ian. You are going into it. You're going to be sustained through it, speaking of the great tribulation. If we're going into it, then the doctrine of eminency, at any moment the Lord can return, is completely destroyed. Because there are now signs that have to happen before the rapture can occur according to their theory of the mid-tribulation rapture. Now, when you get beheaded, you're simply to put your head at a certain position because it won't heat as much, there are, hurt as much. There are no instructions like that. When the bride of the church isn't given any instructions how to handle this period, his obviously answer is that we're not going to go through it. What is it? The tribulation. What Messianic believer experienced today is the wrath of Satan, the wrath of man, the wrath of the world system, which can be very severe. But we're dealing here with the wrath of God. That is a wrath that we're not a candidate for as a believer. Intimacy at any moment is truth. Rav Shaul gave no instructions how to prepare to go through the Great Tribulation. And neither did any of the other apostles. Turn with me now to 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 10. We're going to see how 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 10 and 2 Corinthians chapter 1 10, they mirror one another. Like we're instructed in scripture, we're to compare scripture to scripture, are we not? And so that's what we're going to be doing right now. And so we're here we are in 2 Corinthians, and we're going to be in chapter 1, and we'll be looking at verse number 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and 1 verse 10. Chapter 1 and verse 10. He rescued us from such deadly peril, and he will rescue us again. 
the one in whom we have placed our hope will indeed continue to rescue us. And what does 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10 say? And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, that is Yeshua, who rescues us. In the Greek, that word is Romane, which is spelled R-H-Y-O-M-A-I. He will rescue us, Romaneus. That is our verb from ek. And what is the word ek? The wrath or orge to come. Rav Shaul uses the identical sentence structure in 2 Corinthians 1.10, where it says this, who delivered, and what is that word delivered? Rescued, the same, Rohomene, the same verb used for rescue us. From what? From ek. He doesn't use orge, and he tells how the Lord delivered him from death. So great a peril of death, and the word there is thanatos, that is T-H-A-N-A-T-O-S, and will deliver us also. He whom we have set our hope in will deliver us. 2 Corinthians 1.10, many people wanted to kill Rav Shaul, but God delivered him supernaturally so he could get on with his ministry and for it to be accomplished. And he talks about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, chapter 1, verse 10, where he says, Who delivered us from so great a peril death, and he rescued us from the deadly peril, and he will rescue us again. The one in whom they, we have placed our hope and will indeed continue to rescue us. And what was that sign? Chapter? Us. That's 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 10. And so there is a rescue there, is the preparation of Ek. And there is what he was spared from, death. So, and the Ek there is the wrath of man. Because God did not want to kill Rav Shaul, but man did. Hasatan desired to snuff his life out. And that's why when Rav Shaul was delivered to his own people, delivered to the, the Sanhedrin, there was, a, there was a prophet before he went back to Jerusalem that warned him that there will become those. And the guy, the prophet, he bound his own hands and feet. And he says, this will be the one whose belt that I've taken off and bound my own hands and feet. But when on the way, the, Yeshua appeared to Rav Shaul when he was in, in jail. He was under the guard of the Roman general. And he, he appeared to him and said, do not fear, because I'm going to be sending you to Rome to speak and to proclaim the good news. And so in the midst of that, we can see that the Lord is delivering Rav Shaul from, from the peril, this death. So continuing here, the one he, who he, he he placed his, his, our hope. Indeed, he will rescue us. So when Rav Shaul now says in first, second uh, Corinthians chapter uh, 1, verse 10, when he says this, that I was spared from death, he does not say I was spared 25%. And what is that in reference to? 25% of the seven-year tribulation the pre-mid-tribulation rapture, okay? Or 50%. That's the mid-theory of the tribulation rapture. Or if 75%, because those that believe at the post, it's towards the end, 75% up to 100% from death, and so he says, I was not, I was not spared 50% or half or three quarters or even a quarter. Ludicrous. So when, when that identical structure now shows up in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10, what Rav Shaul is saying is just as he kept, 
he was kept completely out of the prospect of death. So I could fulfill my calling in spite of the people trying to kill me. Remember the word, or gay, the wrath of the people? You have to put it in the context of who was written to at their time in their period. And does it apply to us in the future? I believe it does because the harpazo of the rapture has not happened. The great tribulation has not began. And so continuing here. So he is believing and teaching that, that we will be completely, totally kept out of that time period. Speaking of the seven years that is coming called the wrath of God. Where Yeshua opens up the seven seal scrolls. And the wrath of God is poured forth where? Upon the earth. So that is why I believe in the pre-tribulation. Because it says ek instead of parenin, meaning through. It is the only doctrine that teaches the eminency at any moment. That Yeshua will come and rescue us. And there are no instructions for the bride of Messiah, the church, to prepare for the tribulation period. We're not even encouraged to say, you know, you got to look out for the anti-Messiah, the Antichrist. And here now I'm going to show you how to deal with him. I'm going to show you now how to continue to be a body of believers, these churches throughout the whole earth. There's none of those instructions. So why did not God prepare those people that would be living during that time for what was going to be coming upon them if they're not there or taken out? There are lots of instructions on how we are to endure Satan's wrath, the world system's wrath, man's wrath. There are a lot of instructions there. But not a shred of scriptural evidence concerning how we are to, to endure God's wrath in the seven-year tribulation. And the grammatical structure of 1 Thessalonians 1.10 mirrors 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, where Rav Shaul says, I was completely and totally kept out of death. And this is what the Thessalonians had developed in terms of their mindset. They had this eschatological hope. They were desiring the Lord's appearing when? At any moment, as they were instructed. <coughs> and as bad as it got for them, it did not get as difficult as they understood. And that is this, that the worst was yet to come in the great tribulation. So you can see how laughable titles books are that we have right now. Book titles in the modern day. Joel Olstein, Your Best Life on Now. You know what that book is good for? Starting a bonfire outside. Continuing. So Thessalonians, they were saying the opposite. That this is bad as it can get. And so as Messianic believers, you might be under tremendous duress today, but the difficulties you go through are difficult to you personally because you are spared from the wrath of God, which Rav Shaul says is yet to come. So be encouraged that you will not see and endure the wrath of the tribulation. Shabbat Shalom and thank you.